The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burrows of Berea. Nobody, no, 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 nobody, no, no, notes, nobody, no, notes from the underground. Folks, welcome back to the Burrows of Berea Notes from the Underground. This is a podcast where we take a microscope to some of Christianity's thornier topics in people. I am your host. Tiziana, mom, so hard, so hard. How you, mom, so hard now? I'm, I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I offered you some hummus. I know, and I said no, and I'm not even sure why. And in my mom way, I was like, "Here, you want some?" I should have said yes. I don't know why I didn't, but you, you know, I mean, that's just bar? you know, when you, I'm momming so hard by Wait. like by by being hungry because I'm I'm sustaining peanuts. a whole other human being. I have yeah. some lunchables. Yeah, well, we got it. We're gonna eat little. Oh, we got it. Apparently, snacks. We're just like very. <laughs> yeah, uh, and apparently, everyone but me has them too. Like that's that's exciting. Speaking of speaking of a snack, to my right, <laughs> Carlton Rick Carter. Now it's the, the Rickening. Yeah, he's now the snack. <laughs> he's got another name. The snack. The, the snack. snack. Okay, yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> like Ralph called me the the bowl of uh, the bowl of candy. Yeah, yeah, the bowl of candy. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm not the the cultural reference of a snack is not missed on anyone in the room. Uh, no, okay, not at all. all right, just checking, <laughs> just checking. We're not no. that old. Next to the snack, we got Rick the <laughs> Podfather Welch. <laughs> I was podcasting when podcasting wasn't cool, and it still isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it is. It's cool. like everybody got it's a podcast. Cooler than blogs. Everybody. Yeah, it's yep. definitely definitely replaced blogs. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And uh, next to Rick, we have Sarita the Edge Edgerton. Hello. And last but not least, <laughs> Andy Rocketman Bishop. It's nice to be remembered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she didn't in the last episode, yeah. did she? No, I'm just no. playing. It's also nice to not be called a hottie, so. I think it's nice to be called a hottie. Is that nice? I'm never getting over it. You're right. Everybody told me I will never live it down. Ever. Nope. <laughs> <Our> memories <laughs> are long. I missed the Josh Sexton um, testimony, and I was glad I, I got a chance to listen to it. But I, I heard you you gals giving Rick a hard time. Yeah, busting <laughs> in the my post, chops. In the, post, <sighs> the post-podcast chitter-chatter. Yes. <laughs> it's just, it's really funny. It's something that I enjoy. And it was good I, that I Billy uh, Candy Kimsey wasn't here for that one, because two two hotties in the room uh, would have gotten ignored. Would've been, yeah. yeah. He'd have been felt. Would have been a double whammy. Jeez. <laughs> you left me out, so I'm not high. Ah, chop liver. Well, we I are. mean, you know, it is Two part of Billy's like room. identity. That's right. That's you know, nice. it is yeah. their identity. You did talk about how good looking he was. Speaking, I'm hot in regard to temperature. Like my the <laughs> yeah. back, my back is sweating right now. <laughs> <laughs> and Rick was uh, the Carter. The third was talking about how cold it was in here. And yeah. I say, if you touch yes. the thermostat, I will punch <laughs> you in the throat. In the throat. <laughs> she throat punches around here. Look yeah. at Andy with that stir on his mouth. <laughs> is that a stick? stick? Yeah. There's a coffee stir. I'm I mean, yeah. anticipating 
It when, looked like a Virginia Slim from like Ew. 1960, you know. Andy is in there with his French press. <laughs> I thought he was channeling his inner um, Jesus from The Chosen. Oh yeah, where he's chewing on a piece of. By the straw. way, I'm I'm halfway through the second season. I are have you, called. I'm, I'm are you almost there. It? It's so good. It I need really to start is. it. I, I've been meaning to start it. What 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 service does it stream on? Amazon Prime. Yeah. I cannot believe that you have not seen. You are wow. going to absolutely wow. love this show. You're, I know. You yeah. are I know. going to love it. I just don't watch TV. I, I mean, you got to watch this. Episode one of season one. Just watch it. Oh, man. And when you do, yeah. you will not be able to, to stop. I know I won't. It's, it's on, what is it on Prime? It's Amazon Prime Mary has M- the first two seasons, but they have an app that you can go get the third one. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I'll start one from one. Yeah. It's about Mary Magdalene. Get, You're going to love get it. Get out of here. <laughs> I know I'm going to. The thing is. I believe. It's shut the front door. No. Well, yeah, but I want you to get the f out of here. It's not the same. You know? No, no. I I, I want to watch it. I you know, it, it's one of those things. I'm as a stay-at-home mom, two things. Number one, I feel a weird sense of compulsion to work as hard as I know my husband's working outside of the home. Mm-hmm. But then I get angry and frustrated and bitter because his job technically ends when he walks in the door, but my job continues. Uh, th- I don't yeah. sleep. Yeah. My job's never over. Yeah. Never. So the Lord's been working on my heart and working with me on um, learning how to take a break. <laughs> the dog and cat are <laughs> yeah. Greg is absolutely mutilating Cooper in there. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. And those are cats and dogs, not yeah. humans. Not humans. Yeah, it's not a dog yeah. and pony show. It's a it's a dog and kitty show. Greg and Cooper fight yeah. sometimes. It's really cute. I have a couple of videos of it. Yeah, that's good. But that's one of the things the Lord's been working on my heart with is 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 like I have this role as the stay at home parent, and regardless of your gender identity, if you are the stay at home parent, chances are the cooking, the cleaning, the laundry, it all falls on you. If you are the uh, Breadwinner? The no, if you are the the also on top of the stay at home parent, if you are also um, breastfeeding or chest feeding your child, uh, it's a it's like it is a never ending onslaught, and and I find this bitterness that kind of creeps in, you know, about how like my brain can never take a break mm-hmm. because it's not just the physical load of being the stay at home parent; it's the mental load. When is my kids? Uh, next pediatric appointment. Are we out of toilet paper? Did I put that laundry in the dryer? It's like, I can't even sit on the couch and watch Ted Lasso with my husband and not be like, wait a second, I got it. You know, I'm making a uh, chicken stock right now from chicken bones because I want to make chicken and dumplings when I get home. Did I make sure that you get up and turn the, the, the instant pot on? It's a never ending onslaught. So what the Lord's been working on with me on is to, um, this is so bizarre that you say this, the Lord's been telling me, just sit down and watch a TV show in the middle of the day. Yeah. Because that's something I don't let myself do. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you have to learn how to carve spaces of breaks out for yourself. Because like, for example, most people, the weekend is when you stop working. The weekend is when my work gets the most intense. That's mm-hmm. when there's the most cooking because everybody's home. That's when there's the most laundry. There's the most picking up toys after everyone goes down for their nap. So I'm like a, a server at a at a restaurant. My busy shifts are Friday night, Saturday night. And it's seven, and it's seven days a week, which it's yeah. hard to... <sighs> It's hard to stress how difficult the relentlessness of a seven day a week gig is. Yes. Yeah. It's it's like yeah. you can you can bang it out for a while. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's just boy, we, yeah. if you get no just no days off for a long time, it just it creeps up on you and then there's a there's a weariness that can be difficult to to get away from. And I remember too, you know, and when my kids were little and my wife was a stay at home mom, um, my first wife. I um 
I was the one that was responsible for making sure that we had all of the money for that we needed to be able to. And um, I could see that in her face when I would come home. And I would know that I would try to like give her that break, that moment to be able to do whatever. I'm, I'm sure he does too. He's such a sweetie. I know. Your husband sounds oh, like Dylan, he is too. Yeah. yeah, he's a darling. But also that stress of, you know, I try. I, I tried not to tell my wife like the way my bosses were and how my job was always on the line and like fearing like how in the world am I going to make the mortgage payment this month? I don't know where it's going to, you know, I'm not saying that it's just as hard for men. I'm just saying that for me, I remember I seven day a week stressed out I know. over making sure that my beautiful little wife and kids were going to have what they needed. And I know that Dylan has that too. And he doesn't say it out loud, but I hear him talk about like, oh, maybe I can pick up some extra hours this week if I do this. And and I can I can find, if I work on the weekend, I'll, I'll pick this up. And and then I feel stressed because I'm like, well, how can I make some extra money doing things on, you know, whatever. So, so you can consult, baby. Hey, Bam, I know, I'm really excited need. about that. <laughs> so yeah. I need to talk to you about that too. I Rick. just keep not doing it. But you yeah. know what? <laughs> You you emailed me the other day. Oh, I texted you. Yeah, oh, I know. Uh, we got to do it. Let's do it. When I had my first kid, I yeah. was the breadwinner. And mm-hmm. my husband, when we moved to Asheville or Hendersonville, he was a stay-at-home dad. Mm-hmm. And so after I had my second kid, and I worked, so I worked 70-hour weeks. I was in sales. I had to take people to dinner and, and golf outings and all this kind of stuff. And I was very good at my job. Yeah. So when I came home, because I wanted that mom, I wanted the the instinct within me is to be a mom to my child. Yeah. So I would go into full time mom mode. Yeah. And so I was trying to pull both ends of the spectrum. Um, after the second one, I said, I can't do this. You have to go to work. I'm going to be a stay at home mom. I ended up waiting tables to, to supplement the income at night. Yeah. Someone was always home with our children. But what I got out of that, my husband has never complained. He's never asked me what I do all day. Um, he's never, when we started homeschooling, yeah. there's never been any sort of, oh, well, you, just, you didn't get the laundry done today or you didn't fix dinner yet. Why are you still in you your pajamas? How hard it is. Yeah. Why are yeah. you still in your pajamas? I like mean, when you see somebody be rude to wait staff and you're like, that person has never had it. <laughs> yeah, yes. Exactly. Yeah. Like but, um, and so when COVID came around and, and a lot of people had to stay home or, or homeschool their children, they were forced into it. Nobody asked homeschool moms what they did all day. Ever again. Ever again. Yeah. They were now, we were like superheroes. Before we were like these little lady in jeans, skirts, and bun, messy buns. Yeah. But now we're like superheroes. I was like, ha. Yeah. You know? But all that to say is it, 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 as women, this should probably be a podcast, but as women, yeah. we we have so many roles that we're trying to play, but we don't really think about what he was saying, this, the mental stress of I've got to pay the bills. And did I pay that bill? And how am I going to pay that bill? Did I make enough money this month? Um, why did my wife go out and spend $200 at Costco? I don't understand. Oh my understand. God, Dylan literally said that to me yesterday. He didn't mean to, <laughs> but <laughs> I was talking about dinner and 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 how um, I needed to thaw something out because I hadn't prepared something for dinner. And he was just like, you spend $130 at Sam's Club and you don't have dinner? I'm like, no, but we got, I know, <laughs> I, I know. You, you can wipe your butt for the but rest of the next three we, months. Right. <laughs> like sometimes the Sam's Club bill is not dinner tonight. Right. You know, I'm, right. I, you know, I didn't get potatoes. You know why? Because you don't need 20 pounds of potatoes. That's right. You know, but in any case, um, all of that to say, and we should definitely do some notes from the underground would. on, like, on not like, any men in, like me and Andy. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we'll we just can, like 
Sit we can out. brainstorm because this particular study <laughs> that we're doing on same-sex activity in the Bible is going to take us through a few months of podcasts, I think. But um, when that's over, let's we can let's brainstorm some things we can talk about. But um, but yeah, all that to say, the Lord has specifically told me I need to start watching a show for myself so that I can learn how to give myself breaks in the day, so that my husband who comes home from work who has also had a rough time doesn't catch attitude from me who is fried. Yeah, and that show is going to be the chosen. The I'm going one. to start that. You, Boy, bring yeah. it around. Chosen. Bring Beautiful. it wrap bring it, it around. Well, at some point we're going to have to actually talk about what we came here to yes, talk absolutely. about. So I was trying right, to yeah. wrap it I was trying to wrap it up. So what what if you missed the last episode, uh what we did was we set the stage about how we approach biblical study and how we approach biblical scholarship because what we are going to be discussing for the next several episodes is same-sex activity in the Bible and what we can glean from that. Um, a real quick note on why I choose to say same-sex activity rather than homosexuality, okay? We're going to start with the Tanakh, and we're going to work through the New Testament. And I will consistently use the term same-sex activity or same-sex relations rather than homosexuality because— does anybody have any idea how many times the word homosexual appears in the Hebrew and in the Greek? I do not know. Yeah. Well, zero, yeah, zero times, zero, zero point zero times does the word homosexual or even heterosexual appear in the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew or in the Greek. Um, the reason is because that heterosexual and homosexual are inventions of the 19th century and were created to address a specific issue. Um, they were invented by these two German dudes, Carl Ulrichs and Carl Maria Ketmeny in 1864. So, so what was going on in 1864 was the Industrial Revolution, which happened approximately 1760 to like 1860, right? That period of time was the Industrial Revolution. And what was happening during the Industrial Revolution is as the creation of goods and, and, and whatnot became centralized in urban centers rather than happening at the hands of individualized art artisans, we saw an absolute explosion in ur urban living. Not not in any one particular place, but globally, right? So Paris, London, New York, all these places where the factories were concentrated that you saw an influx of immigration. Uh, for example, New York City in its 1800 census was about 60,000 people. But by 1900, there were 3.5 million people in the city of New York. So like big- And most of them Big moved. bada boom. In between 1860 and 1880, that's when the the general explosion happened. We're talking a 20 year period of time yeah, that the wild. that the population more than tripled in the city of New York. And don't mm. get me started on like Harlem and the ghettos and, and right and, and those those exploded and the living conditions atrocious. So what <laughs> happened as all of these people started living in these urban spaces was we started seeing an enormous outbreak of um, health epidemics. We started seeing a lot of sickness and we started seeing a lot of uh, communicable diseases being spread quickly and at an alarming, to an alarming amount of people. That was one of the things, that was one of the byproducts of this kind of giant urbanization was communicable disease. So there was this big scramble, um, between leaders of these countries and the courts to figure out how to manage this 
which is when we started seeing police forces become a thing. Mm -hmm. The police force in London, uh, I believe, was established in 1835, and in New York, it was in 1849. Prior to that, policing happened by soldiers who Mm -hmm. sometimes were there and sometimes weren't, and it wasn't necessarily centralized you know, mm-hmm. it they the soldiers had other jobs to do, and you might have people out and about. Here you go, but this was the first time that you had like a police force. This was sanctioned by the state. They had a particular job, and they kind of went out and did it. Right. So, what was happening was that as this health epidemic started to um, started to become of concern. The police force is also coalescing. There was this kind of conversation about how the cops should be policing sexual behavior as a way to sort of also participate in controlling this health epidemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is one of the first times in history, for example, that we see policing of prostitution. Uh, This happened by the state first in Paris where they were requiring prostitutes to become uh, to register. Mm -hmm. And then this also then happened in London. Uh, so this is what was kind of going on. There was this, with the, yeah, yeah, with a bunch of you add a bunch of people, and you're going to have an explosion of uh, right. disease on right. many different kinds. Right. That's right. And and especially what with your throwing urine and feces out Absolutely. the window into the right. streets, trash in the streets, things yeah. like that. It's so wild. Just, I cannot right. imagine living at that point in history. Mm. No, uh, before indoor plumbing, no, thank you. No, no, before thank dentistry. You. Yeah, before AC, I'll bring it. Oh, <laughs> wow. Before AC. Yeah. Can do it. Let's Don't add it. all yeah. those together. That sounds like a cultural milieu of good. I'm telling you. I did a quick Google in the 1800s: smallpox, typhus, yellow fever, and scarlet fever began to take off. Yeah, mm-hmm. mom had scarlet fever in 1938. Wow. Oh, wow. My great uncle Tom, who died last year, God rest him, uh, had polio. He walked with a limp his whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so we started seeing this giant leap. And as part of that, the policing of sexual activity also became codified in a lot of places as part of that desire to sort of cut down on these communicable diseases. So back back, back to the Carls. Um, all these rules, sexual rules that had at first been just sort of like moral laws that the church was responsible for policing, these all of a sudden became relegated not to the realm of the church, but to the realm of the legal system. And you saw a lot of legal codes being enacted. One of those was the Prussian Legal Code um, of 1851, and Prussian equals German, right? For yeah, we, we actually went back and forth on that in one of our episodes between Ottoman and Prussian. We were trying to figure out yeah. where Prussian was German. When it yeah. switched <laughs> over, yeah. So paragraph 143 of the Prussian Penal Code that was enacted in 1851 outlawed fornication between peoples and animals as well as between persons of the male sex. Uh, One of the Carls, I can't remember which one, but one of the Carls had a dear friend that unalived himself over this particular law. So the Carls got into this just giant ass philosophical debate via letter to one another about why this was bad to be a law, but they had very different reasons. So I'm not going to really get into the particulars of that correspondence unless you guys want to. I'm perfectly happy to. But this went on for a few years, these two philosophical um, philosophers having this debate, not necessarily debate, but this conversation. They tried to use that conversation to have this portion of the penal code overturned, and they were unsuccessful. Hmm. Because they both believed that it was not good to have this be codified into law, but they had different reasons why. So, 
In any case, uh, this conversation is relevant because this is the first time in history that the concept of an innate sexual orientation entered into the consciousness of humanity, period. Hmm. Prior to that, sexuality was described only in terms of the acts. It was never under any circumstances discussed as a matter of indelible orientation. That is why homosexual and heterosexual were created in tandem with one another these Carls invented those words. They're a weird Latin-Greek um, hybrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, these two guys had to invent the words to describe the idea of sexual attraction being tied to an inborn predilection because, again, prior to that, it didn't exist. Hmm. Um, so fast forward about 20 years to 1886, and the words homosexual and heterosexual appear in a book called Psychopathus Sexualis by a physician named Richard von Kraft Ebbing. So that's where all this moral and sexual gatekeeping in order to control the spread of venereal disease and whatnot had continued, but the courts were still struggling to find what was legal, quote unquote, so they knew exactly who to put in jail. So enter Kraft Ebbing. He sets out to catalog all kinds of sexual acts, all of the Linnaean classification system, in order to make a sort of handbook for the courts. Yeah, yeah. This guy went out there and he was like, no, this is for science. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Follow yeah. the science. It, yeah. it was. And and if you're familiar at all with the Linnaean class, classification system, right? you're the history teacher. I am. Do you want to pop in or no? No. Okay, so this guy, um, Lin- Carl— I don't like, try to claim that I know everything about history. What's his name, Linnaeus? Like, his last name was Linnaeus. Anyway, you know how when we classify something, we use the Latin word for, like, its genus, and then it's, like, mm-hmm. um, species? That's the Linnaean— Class, that's the Linnaean classification system. He came up with this way, and he started with plants, and he moved on to, to animals, and then he moved on to people. Hmm. And he classified human beings um, based on these kinds of same categories. Linnaeus did, or Ebbing used no, Linnaeus's? No, Linnaeus did. And so really? this so Linnaeus did it? Yeah, yeah. No, Prior no, this is, to well, Ebbing. Right. Right. So this is- Homo sapien mammalis or something like that. And so he started to, he was the first person to suggest that, well, on a scientific basis, that different races were not the same person. Like we weren't all cute Linnaeus? Mm. Yeah. Oh. You can't hear me. And it was all part of Darwin. (laughs) It was all part of Darwinism. So so there was this great big boom in like science in like the late seven like like the uh, late seventeen hundreds from late seventeen hundreds to like the early nineteen hundreds. Somebody Google when Darwin was doing his deal. Someone okay. Google so, it just so we can throw it in there. 1880s, 1890s. Right. So, so there was this whole It's when the book became popular now. I could have been before it's that. It's really when the microscope happened, people started going, holy shit, there's a lot more going on here. And like science and like the science of the mind. And that's when, you know, um, Karl Marx says God is dead because science started to replace, the explanation of things started to replace the mystery of God mm-hmm. is what that means. And so there was this, this whole explosion of let's classify things and let's put things in their boxes, including things that don't belong in boxes, like yes. human people. Mm-hmm. So in this same style, this was what the du jour conversation looked like. Along comes this doctor, Richard von Kraft Ebbing. And in that same style of classification, he sets out to classify sexual acts, give them names, put them in categories, do all of this stuff. Because part of that, and or did you find it? Did you Google it? Yeah, the theory of evolution uh, by natural selection was first formulated in Charles Darwin's book on the origin of species. Mm-hmm. 
Um, published in 1859. Right. Do me a favor. Figure out when Linnaeus, the Linnaeus, the Linnaean system of classification was popularized. Popularized. So let me let me let yeah. me posit this thought for mm-hmm. you because it does go to where, where we're going eventually in this study. Yeah. I don't teach my kids that we are part of the classification system because I believe that we are created in the image of God and mm-hmm. thus we are different. However, um, when you start putting people in those boxes with mm-hmm. the mammalis, homo sapien, mm-hmm. whatever, the classification, genus, species, whatever, mm-hmm. it makes it easier to dehumanize people yeah. and put them in subjugation. Yeah. Because when we when we dehumanize them, and it was going on way before the origin of the species. Yes. It was going on way before that because people have dehumanized other people groups of people from time immemorial. Bartolome de las Casas was a a, Christ, a Catholic priest who fought for the humanity of the discovered peoples in America. And he had an actual fight with a guy named Sepulveda. It was a papal bull that they had an, an argument and it was a discussion. And Bartolome de las Casas was like, no, these people are people. And this guy was Bartholomew like, Bartholomew no. of the houses is what that That's right. translates to. Yes. And Sebulveda was like, no, they're not, they're, they're objects because they're not Christians. So they are therefore not real people. But this was going on before so that was Jesus. Even, like th- that was in like the seventh, that was in like the 1400s. People have enslaved other humans oh, yeah. since time immemorial. Yeah. The, the and classifying and saying who deserves humanity. Go back to Cain and Abel. Absolutely. He dehumanized his brother yeah. and thought more about the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And the the and, and it was and it's easier that it's in order to kill somebody you have to put them in a box where you're like goes back to what Rick said about pacifism when we got into that you aren't one of me you so aren't you are, one of me so you must be destroyed you deserve it not just you must be you deserve it it's yes. not even necessarily that you deserve it it's worse than that it's because you don't matter that's Oof. right because yeah. you're not Yikes. human you are subhuman did you find it Rick. I may have the spelling wrong right now, so. L-E-A-N-N. Uh, I mean, we're not too far removed from the way that white people treated, you know, African-Americans. That's exactly right. That was part of the lineal classification yeah. system. I mean, yeah. whether it was church or science, they were going to be enslaved, regardless yeah. of the way you looked at it. So you know, what's happening? Was for Carl, everyone, right? But, huh? Carl? Yes. Uh, 1735. Right. Wow. So we're talking so about this. Is, this is, it's about a hundred, but it's about a hundred years. It's this period of time where there's this massive explosion in like thought and science and investigation. I mean, I think I think it's that the age of enlightenment. The age of enlightenment. This right. This yep. is when they figured out that like germs during surgery were like killing women in childbirth and people on the battlefield. So they started like using listerine to wash their hands. Right. That wasn't until the early 1900s. See, but that's yeah, what I'm that saying. It's this same like 200 year period. It's this period of time where people are like, "Whoa!" You know, they're just starting to figure stuff out. Yes, they would go have their hands on corpses, yeah, and then go put their hands up women's vaginas exactly. to deliver a baby. That one very famous hospital yeah. where that happened all and the time. And he figured he figured out, hey, everybody I touch with my corpse hand dies. And they thought he was crazy. They thought he was nuts. Didn't they? Wasn't he basically ostracized from the profession? He was until he wasn't. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the, the oh, I, wait, I, I can't even get into that because I'm going to start bawling. So all these babies were dying. No, women were women. dying, and the babies, yes, and the babies in oh, childbirth because in childbirth. whatever this particular hospital was, they handled. It was in Boston, did, I think. Yeah, they did corpses. They did like they the would study be, of dead humans, and they did childbirth. And they wouldn't wash their hands. They would go and deliver babies, and the women that, would die of sepsis afterwards. They didn't know. 
anyways. Yes, let's not. That's a whole anyways, thing. And the Industrial Revolution bringing everybody together. All in one spot. Right. Bringing them all together right. to one for so, to think, to talk. To- so what's going on is we're like, okay, we need to control this health epidemic. The only way we can do that is by outlawing the things that we think are causing the problem, right. but we're not in agreement about what's causing the problem. Well, it was, so it along was comes obvious, Kraft von Ebbing, about. right? Or, or, or yeah, Richard von Kraft Ebbing. And he's like, I have an idea. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to classify all of these different sexual activities so that we can have some common ground for the biomedical and lawmaking communities to be on the same page. Boom, boom. So I'm going to write a book. <laughs> yeah. And it was called Psychopath Sexualis. And this was the beginning of the pathologizing of homosexual as an orientation. Now, to be clear, by Von Ebbing's, uh, by Kraft Ebbing's measure, every last one of us in the room and all y'all at home listening are sexual deviants. You are all perverts. Because he pathologized any and all sexual acts that were not between a husband and a wife with the intent to bear children, missionary only, missionary mm. only, and of the right age to bear children. So if you like any other positions, <laughs> you're, a, you're a pathologized pervert. He gave you a name. He named you. If you are a postmenopausal woman. Song of Solomon? Listen, that's what I, right, exactly. If you are, but I mean, that was a husband and a wife, right? Of childbearing age, right? Yeah, they were not doing it for having children purposely. But that's the thing. So any, so if you- the term missionary position. Probably. Well, that is where it came from. Missionary only, it's missionary. And you can look up the book because it's actually really interesting. But he didn't just like, he didn't just, he gave it a name and he pathologized it. If you were a postmenopausal woman and you had a desire for your husband, you were mentally sick and that should be illegal. If you masturbated, there was a, he fetishized and pathologized masturbation so that they could have a thing to make illegal. Do you understand? Wow. So by this, by his standard, and homosexual got wrapped up in that as well. What's fascinating to note, and we will discuss this when we get into the actual word of God as well, Nowhere in here do you see any legal prohibition against two women, just against two men. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, it's not the homosexual orientation that's being discussed. It's the activity that happens between two men because that was where you were experiencing the spread of venereal disease. Not just from man to man, but these men were then going home to their wives likely and spreading it there. So that the act of fornication between two men was what the Prussian Penal Code was about. But then Kraft von Ebbing comes out with this book because the word heterosexual and homosexual, that was happening between the Carls. That was letters. But but this guy gets a hold of these letters and this is the first time that you see the pathologizing of the orientation homosexual. A person, they used to call them inverts. So they thought that it was a, a male body that had a female soul. They thought it was a, a physical, it, they called them inverse. It was an inversion that had happened. And so they were therefore attracted to the same sex instead of their the natural sex, which was women. So that before that, again, it was just the act. A man who sleeps with a man, you know, that was the act. The act was illegal. Kraft von Ebbing made the orientation illegal. And yes, and just for the listeners that we talked about earlier, it was the Vienna Hospital, uh, and the man's name was Ignaz Semmelweis, I-G-N-A-Z-S-E-M-M-E-L-W-E-I-S. The doctor discovered the disease-fighting power of hand-washing in 1847. 
Oh, right so it was the, the same early, times, right? Yeah. So 1847. It's all in that same period. And it was time. in Hung- uh, he was a Hungarian, but it was in the name of the hospital was Vienna Hospital. Yep, Hungarian physician, Vienna Hospital. Okay, sorry, I just wanted to go back. To I'm, that. So, but so this explosion of time. Yeah. But but so for the for the purposes of our study moving forward, I really this is what I this is why I will not refer to homosexual in the Bible because it doesn't appear in the Bible in the Greek or in the Hebrew at all. We are going to take a look at the words and the etymology of the words, but we're not going to use the word homosexual because it is an invention of the 19th century that was designed by with a 19th century problem in mind. Mm-hmm. And it was it was created as a way to pathologize an entire a, a group of people so that they could control the spread of venereal disease. That was its point. Yeah. And it became a stigma. And then it became a stigma and and all of that stuff. So um when we get into the word, uh what I would like to do is start from the beginning and work our way forward. So the first stop on the sexy train <laughs> is just remember you said it first so when I start using those terms later yeah is Genesis mm. because the first time that we we see homosexual activity is in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah mm-hmm. so um, let's I'm a big fan of just reading the word okay so I think that to get us all on the same page before we get started we might want to go ahead and actually just read the story which the act had probably happened way before then it's just the first time we see it. This is the first time it's mentioned, and it's the first time that it's mentioned in terms of um, explicit behaviors and activities within the context of wickedness. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Right. So, uh, so first of all, before we get started, I want to talk about the etymology of the words Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, the two names in the original Hebrew, their etymology actually is uncertain. And so any sort of connection between the names of the cities and the sexual act is actually a gross misunderstanding. Sodomy as a sexual act was named after the city of Sodom, not the other way around. And in the Strong's Concordance, Sodom is the word 5467, and it's from an unused root of to scorch, right? Um, Outside of the Genesis story, this form of Sodom is used 11 times in the Hebrew Bible, and it is always in reference to the city itself. Mm Mm-hmm. Outside the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the word sodomy appears zero times. And in the Hebrew, and the word sodomite appears four times. Three times in the book of First Kings and one time in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, that is if you are reading the King James Version. Mm-hmm. That is where you see in First Kings, the sodomites were driven from the temple. And in Deuteronomy, don't do like the sodomites kind of a thing. If you read any other translations, those words are not translated into sodomite. So what words are we talking about? In Strong's Concordance, the word sodomite or sodomites is word number, you can look it up if you have a Strong's Concordance. It's 6945 and the word is Kadesh or a sacred person, a male devotee by prostitution to licentious idolatry, sodomite, unclean. Now, funny enough, uh, we see this exact same word, Kadesh, only the female version of it, which is Kadeshah. In the original Hebrew, in regard to the story of Tamar and Judah in Genesis 38. Uh, when we look up that story in the English, the New King, the King James Version, Tamar dresses herself up as a as a harlot. She's described as the word harlot instead of sodomite. Mm-hmm. But there's more. If you look up the word harlot in the Strong's Concordance and you ask yourself how many times does it appear, it also appears in reference to Rahab. However, the original Hebrew that's translated to harlot 
in that story is not the word Kadesh. It's a completely different word. So what this, it's, it, and the, that word is from, it's called Zana, and it is uh, 2181 in the Hebrew for the Strong's Concordance. This is for, this is location in the yep. concordance for those of you that are like, what are these numbers? What are you talking about? You can actually get out the concordance and all the words in Hebrew are listed one they have numbers by them. Mm-hmm. So you can go find that word that you're curious about. And you can also see other places it's referenced in the Bible so that you can understand on a cultural context why this word would be used in different places. So what I'm saying here is that the word sodomite translated to the word Kadesh, which is in reference to male prostitution in the temple, temple, sacred prostitution, mm-hmm. is also used to describe Tamar, who did what? dressed herself outside the city gate. She disguised herself as a temple prostitute and seduced Judah. Mm -hmm. But Rahab, who was also translated as harlot or prostitution, in the Hebrew, it's a completely different word. The word is anah. And that has to do with like, kind of more like standard, only girls are used to describe that word. And it has a little more to do with, uh, uh, it says, uh, usually the female and less often of simple fornication. It also could be to like commit adultery. And so that's why you see, God described Israel's attitude as harlotry. It's not prostitution, it's it's adultery. You've walked away from your first love. Mm-hmm. So what this suggests is that there are different levels and degrees of prostitution and different levels and degrees in the Bible. You have sacred prostitutes and you have just standard prostitutes. Right. And they aren't the same thing, right? Yeah. Would that have anything to do with being considered a harlot if she was having, um, same as like the woman at the well? Where she was had several men husbands yeah. living with a man. Well, that's a good question, but now that's the Greek, right? So we'd have to look at a completely different etymology. Well, I meant the same. Would it for Rahab? Would it be that she was just living with men, but not married to him? Possible. I don't know. We'd have to see. Now that's a whole other study. Good question. You know, if you were to, I, I bet you, if we were to take uh, the words from the Septuagint, we probably could get some cross referencing. Like she said, it's a different etymology from Hebrew to Greek, but the Septuagint. You know, was translated by what was it? Seventy Jewish elders. Yeah. In order that's to why it's create called the Septuagint because the Septuagint. Yeah, Septuagint. Was kind of running with that because you were basically saying Rahab is, even though she's called a harlot, mm-hmm. may have not actually been a harlot. In, in our modern harlot, understanding the of the word, it as a prostitute, yeah. or right? Whatever. Exactly. In the way that we understand it, and and it is and it is possible that she was, you know, because if a man was married and he had sex with another woman, they were both accused of adultery. Right. Marriage is the dividing line here. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. possible that she was a prostitute, but that she was labeled more as an adulterer because married men were coming to her rather than, you know. And, and see, that's the thing. That's a whole other study. Mm. We can dive into that if we like. That's a thornier but topic I'm, for but later. That's a thornier topic for another time. But what I'm what I'm what I'm trying to get at here is I'm trying to explain the way that our modern and current understanding of the uh, let's be right. frank of sodomy as butt sex. Yes. Right. We are trying we're taking our modern understanding of that and back backdating it. Oh yeah. Yeah. To the Bible cr- and and we say oh the sodomites in. and and, and uh, driven yeah. from the temple. We we think that we're yeah. talking about oh all of the all of the homosexuals. No, they're talking about sacred prostitutes. And out of curiosity just for fun because I think this is interesting. Uh let's look up sacred prostitution. Well, while you're doing that, I was going to try to um, also say one of my favorite movies uh, of all time is The Shawshank Redemption. Oh, I love that movie. And uh, if you remember yeah. The Warden, how he says— It's so good. It is so good. And yeah. the um, 
the warden, when he gets upset with Tim Robbins' character, yes. he says, I will cast you down with the sodomites. sodomites. Yep. Yeah. And which means these were the men that raped other men in this prison. Mm-hmm. And so if you that's the modern understanding of the word. He's yeah. using it. Now we're taking that word. We're going back, right. reading the Old Testament in First Kings and seeing sodomite. Yeah. And we're thinking of what that dude said. Yes. It's not. That's it's exactly not that right. at all. Exactly right. So, so it's important. God is driving something from the temple. Mm-hmm. Because there is something that does not belong in the house of God. And that is 100% correct. Right. And it is important that we know what that thing is so that we can avoid it. Mm-hmm. But what is important to avoid is sacred prostitution, either between men or between women, because they both existed. Mm-hmm. So what is sacred prostitution? Let's read the Wikipedia article. Ah. Sacred prostitution. (laughs) I'm just I'm just kidding. It was just a joke. Yeah, but I think it's just important, right? So, so sacred prostitution, temple prostitution, cult prostitution, and religious prostitution are purported rites consisting of paid intercourse performed in the context of religious worship, possibly as a form of fertility rite or divine marriage. Scholars prefer the term sacred sex or sacred sexual rites in cases where payment for service was not involved. The historicity of literal sacred prostitution, there's our favorite word. Love it. Particularly in some places and periods is a controversial topic within the academic world. Historically, mainstream historiography has considered it a probable reality based on the abundance of ancient sources and chroniclers believing its, its practice. Although it has proved harder to differentiate between true prostitution and sacred sex without remuneration. However, since scholarship in the 21st century has challenged the veracity of sacred prostitution as a concept, so blah, blah, blah. But in the ancient Near East, societies along the Tigris and Euphrates rivers featured many shrines and temples or houses of heaven dedicated to various deities. So this, in, in, in Sumner, it's talking about where that was. In Babylonia, it's talking about where that was. So within the context of the ancient Near East, Sacred prostitution, what we have we have vases from a Mesopotamian goddess of sex and fertility. We have it's it's harder to to they're saying there's been some arguments, but for the most part, we do have, because it's been recorded in so many different cultures, this idea that there were neighboring cultures around Israel that had uh sacred prostitution as part of their sex as part of their religious and spiritual worship. Rome was bad with it. Oh, the Greek was bad too. They I read this horrible- eat up. There was this one story where in the worship of Aphrodite, all Greek women were required to have sex with a stranger at some point in their life as a form of worship to Aphrodite. So they had to like, as they became of sexual age, submit themselves to the temple of Aphrodite and just wait for some rando to pick them. And then, then they, <gasps> they could consider, yeah. History is wild. Yeah, yeah. So- Did you also know you- in- yeah, sorry, in the temple of Aphrodite, mm. that her temple prostitutes were men who dressed up as women. That is correct. And you, yep, and you had to have sex with the temple prostitutes, and they were, and sometimes they actually, they, they, there's a, there, I don't know, I don't know if it's a carving or a painting. I'm, I'm not sure what piece of art, but it's the, the men, the temple prostitutes, walking with razors and blood, mm-hmm. and they have, um mutilated them they have castrated themselves and mm-hmm. in in honor of Di- I say Diana but Aphrodite well and in um the hedra in Indian culture which is also a very stratified culture right in in um and by that I mean you are born Classes. into a certain caste mm-hmm. there's a scat caste system and you cannot 
change your caste throughout the course of your life. Directly below prostitutes is the hedra. And these are men that, uh, transgendered women is what it is. And it was not uncommon at all for transgender women in the hedra class over the course of thousands of years to completely cut off the whole thing. Just get rid of it. So uh, I, I got to ask you a question based on the words. Yeah. Um, so am I understanding this right? So uh, Judah and Tamar, the mm-hmm. Tamar, was she dressing like a temple prostitute? I a think sacred? so. Is that, so it was Kadesh? I think, yeah, that's the Kadesh. Yeah. So, so, okay. So God does not accept temple prostitution. Right. However, in the case of Judah, who was obviously in the wrong, yeah. Uh, not only to Tamar uh, in regard to the Levirate marriage, sure. but also he went off looking for something that would have been against what God wanted. Exactly. So she actually dresses up like one of these other God prostitutes. Yeah. And then he goes and lures him oh, in. Yeah. So when he says she's that more righteous wild, than I, man. well, that and also changes it a lot. It adds yes, more it context does. to when he says she is more righteous than I. Oh, way, mm. way more righteous. Because what he's done is not just slept with a prostitute; he slept with a temple prostitute, right? Ooh. Another god's prostitute. He so he's highly, highly condemnable in that moment because God does not approve of religious worship wrapped up in and around sex. God is not some weird old voyeur sitting down watching human porn. That's right. not God's deal. Exactly. God's not into it. And that is wild to my brain. Like, it totally changes the story. It does. It really does. And I it know. also shows you how righteous Tamar really, really was. When I, That she was willing to go to those lengths to fulfill the Levirate law to produce heirs for Judah, by the way. Yeah. For you, son. Right. Mm. Anywho. Wow. So, so, so it's interesting when we look at these original words, when mm-hmm. we find out what's going on. So any other place that we see that he in, and in in the American Standard Version, I believe the word um, in First Kings, and so the sodomites were driven from the temple. It says the sacred male and female prostitutes were driven from the Bible. Hmm. So whatever your current understanding of a sodomite is, cool, that is rooted in the 19th century period. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the conversation we're having there. The sodomites in the Old Testament were not homosexual men; they were sacred prostitutes, mm-hmm. both male and female. Wow. Yeah. So when we go to the story of Sodom and, and the, again, this is we can do this if you want to. The Catholic Church is where we see the adoption of sodomy and acts of sodomy. And the Catholic Church defined sodomy back in like the medieval times as any sexual act that was not P and V intercourse. Hmm. And you know what I mean when I say that. Yeah. So oral sex was sodomy. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's just, how we said the Catholic it? Church adopted sodomy. Yeah. And I well. was just like, man, that is like <laughs> that is an that, understatement. That is but, a oh, I'm so sorry. They for have very. I didn't mean yeah, that. I didn't mean that. I'm going to on... take that back. I, I'm no, not, no, yeah. yeah. We but... listen. We digress. <laughs> we like to joke, but yeah. When you said that, I thought, man, you know, like double entendre there. Yeah. Right. So, so, so as we move forward and we're reading the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, you, you have to understand that, first of all, the word Sodom means to scorch. Mm-hmm. That is, is what, what we're talking about. So, and again, look, we talked about this with the Ruth study. When something is named as part of the story, rather than that was its actual name. The fact that Sodom is from the root word to scorch suggests that. When this story was written down, before it was written down, it was an oral history. I have Native American heritage. We have an oral tradition. 
There are certain parables and, and, and stories of my people that I know as told to me by my great-grandmother. So it's possible that my version of the story, the specifics of it, for example, the salmon people, that's the one I tell my daughter. It's the story of when the Sklalem, which is who I'm native, my native heritage, Sklalem Indian, the Sklalem people and the salmon people walked in, um, walked in accord with one another. The salmon people were a heavenly uh, beings. They were heavenly beings that when they came down to earth, they threw themselves into the river and became salmon. And there was a special agreement that the salmon people had with the Sklalem people that they were, they, the salmon people loved the Sklalem and were willing to sacrifice their bodies in this way. Their only request was that they gathered all the bones. And if you've ever eaten salmon, you know how many bones that is. Salmon are riddled with tiny bones. They're, 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 the Sklalem were required to save every single bone and toss it back into the river after they had consumed their flesh because then and only then could the salmon people emerge intact. At one point in their relationship, a little boy is so curious. He just has to know what would happen if he didn't throw in a bone. So he keeps a tiny, 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 tiny bone because surely it can't be that important to throw every bone in the water. When the salmon people emerge from the stream, it is the chief of the salmon people's own daughter who was missing her cheekbone. Now, long story short, the relationship between the salmon and the sklalem is broken forever because they broke their trust. And that is why the sklalem people now have to fish for the salmon when they're running in the river, right? My grandmother told me that story. In her story, it's the chief's daughter. But someone else might tell that story to their grandson and it's the chief's son that emerges. Within oral tradition, Part of the beauty of the oral tradition is the way each individual person telling the story tells the story from their lived experience. So you have this giant oral tradition that then gets condensed into a story that we wrote down that the, that the scholars and scribes in, in captivity in Babylon wrote down so that like the basics of the story could be contained. Um. So you got to keep that in mind too. I do it myself. You just said it yourself, like with your story. I do it my, when I told my kids stories. I would change whatever I needed to to get the point across. You know what's really funny? When you I know? tell my daughter the story of Rapunzel, or excuse me, the story of Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. At the very end, when she's crying for for some aid because she wants to know the 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 man tells her if you can't guess my name, I'm gonna take your kid. When I tell my daughter that story, an angel of the Lord appears to the queen and says, "I see that none of this is your fault." Hmm. And God is a God of the brokenhearted. So God has sent me to tell you the name of that little man so that you can have power over evil. Ah, see? I tell my, we do I, it all the time. I, we do it we all have the our time. Own oral we do it all the time. When I sing her Jesus loves me this, I know, I say, I say because my mama told me so mm. instead of the Bible half the time, <laughs> you know, because she can't read. <laughs> yeah. And so when she gets older, but you know, so, so I'm, I'm not suggesting that the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is. Um, not factual or whatever. What I'm saying is it's a larger tale of a people that's condensed down into a version that we can understand. Um, Lord of mercy, it is already 1227. Well, here's what I'm going to do. You guys keep doing it. I'm going to bow out and go get her lunch. Yeah. And then I'll come back in. And if it's still going on, I'll jump back yeah, in. Yeah, because I want to get through, I want to get through this. Yeah, man, so, do so, your thing. So we can read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah or we can give you a recap. Let me know what y'all want to do. Do you want to read it? Or do you want me to just give you a recap? It just depends on uh, really how long it is and if somebody's willing to read it. All right, here's Hold the... on one sec. Let Rick go in and oh, out. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm, I'm an... 
Sarita, you re- you follow along if I miss something pointed out, but just in the interest of of just getting it out, because most most people I think know the story of the Song of Morning. If you don't know the story of the Song of Morning, here's the deal: these two angels appear to Abraham, and Abraham's like, "Oh my gosh, come in, let me feed you, let me give you something to eat. Like this is important. It's like lot. thank you for coming." No, Abraham first. Yeah. Oh, he, are you yeah. going backwards? So he goes to Abraham. Okay. Yeah, he okay. goes to Abraham, okay. and visitors. Abraham's like, Abraham's like, and the, these visitors are like, "Look, God has seen the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, and He's going to like trash them," but. Abraham's nephew, Lot, lives in Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abraham bargains on behalf of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's like, please don't do it. If I can find 10 righteous people, and then if I can find five, and then if I can only find one. And basically, because there are no righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, their their fate is sealed because of their quote-unquote wickedness, because of their wickedness. So these angels then go down to uh, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Sodom, historical archaeological evidence has suggested that we're talking about a pretty small city about the size of a thousand people. So Lot was hanging out watching the city gate, which probably was something that was on rotation like the night watchman. So these angels come up to the city gate, Lot's chilling, and they're like, okay, we're gonna come into the city and just go sleep in the city square. And Lot's like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Come home to me and my family, please. And the guys are like, dude, it's no big deal. We'll just go sleep in the city square. And he's like, no, please come home with me. So they go home with them. He feeds them a meal. And at some point, all of the men of the city, from the youngest to the oldest, and that's important, all come to the door and they start banging on the door and they say, give us those men that came to you so that we might have sex with them. And Lot goes out and he's like, don't do this horrible thing. Please, brothers, like, please don't violate these people. I will give you my virgin daughters instead. And the guys are like, nah, we don't care about that. Give us the dudes. And then the angels, it's like they're banging on the door so hard that then the angels uh, pray and cast a blindness over the the guys at the door so that Lot can get back in because it's just like they're they're about to like basically break down the door, forcibly remove these angels and have their way with them in the city square, gang rape them. Right. Let's be clear. Yeah, yeah. So Lot tries to convince like his son-in-law's that this is bad, like they need to go because the angels are like, we're going to confuse these guys that are by the door and um, y'all need to get the F up out of here. <laughs> gather your gather your ish and go. Yeah. So Lot tries to convince his sons-in-law that have married his daughters and they're like, nah, this is dumb. We're not doing it. So Lot and his daughters and his, and his wife flee and his wife turns around and looks behind, sees the fire coming down and is oh, turned yeah. into a pillar of salt, right? So this is one of those stories that has been historically used to say God has a, a lot of judgment on gay people because of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, what's fascinating is this little tiny chunk of story that we have for Sodom. You have the book of Jasher. You should see the I would Sodom. like for you to read a little bit. So, 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 so that's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And By the way, can we— um, can we, while he's finding yeah. that, um, in the near in Middle East, yeah, parts of the Middle East, when you take people into your home, mm-hmm. and and we used to have at our church here, in, when I went to church here in Hendersonville, um, we would um, talk about the Pashtun people, which mm-hmm. are p- sort of in, I think, Afghanistan or mm-hmm. one of those stand places. And um, if you brought them in yeah. and you fed them a meal, and you showed them hospitality. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen that uh, show, that movie, The Lone Survivor, yeah, 
if you take them in and you show them hospitality, you must protect them with your very life. It is part of their culture. It's the hospitality. So that's, I love that the Lord put whoever he inspired to write this. I guess it was Moses. But to put that little part in because it's so important as to why he was willing to even give his daughters. Yes. You know, (laughs) if there was not one man righteous, that also includes Lot. Oh, that's interesting. But I mean, Lot was spared. I know, but because of Abram. Yeah. Because of him. When God looked on the city, if I can find one, not Lot, not Lot's wife, not his two daughters, not his sons-in-laws, whatever they mentioned, not one person was found righteous, Ah. which means Lot was either part of this group at some point doing the things they're doing, or he was done the things that they'd done. Right. Done, done to him. But this is what's interesting. So what were they doing? What was their wickedness? And we have two choices when we discover what, when we think about what their wickedness was. One of the most important options is where are those 11 other times that the city of Sodom is referenced in the book of, in in the Old Testament? Right. Because if we can... Go look at all of those times. We can maybe understand maybe what exactly their wickedness. Maybe there's there's their, what was their wickedness. Well, so one of the one of the clearest. Now, most of the time, it's um, most of the time. Um, we're gonna look up uh, Ezekiel's. What we're gonna do, but most of the time when Sodom is referenced, it's like, and I'm gonna do this. You know, you guys are doing all this stuff wrong, Israel. You're worse than Sodom. And so it's like, it doesn't really give us as many clues unless you really read the previous chapters and figure out what was going on. But one of the most one of the most fascinating examples of the sins and wickedness of Sodom comes from Ezekiel. We're gonna go there together. It's Ezekiel 16, 46 through, we're gonna read 46 through 50. So Ezekiel 16, I'm opening my, my actual physical Bible because I am that nerd that likes the paper. And I'm going to read to you all now. I forgot mine. That's I love okay. my Bible, but I'm yeah. just going to have to use the app. We're going to go ahead and read verses 46 through 50. And now I'm reading the um, the new revised standard version, okay? So let's see. What did I say? I said 40, 46. All right, so 46. So he's talking to Israel is is what he's doing in this in this particular chapter. He's been kind of talking smack to Israel through Ezekiel. And then he says, your elder sister is Samaria, who lived with her daughters to the north of you. And your younger sister, who lived to the south of you, is Sodom with her daughters. You not only follow their ways and acted according to their abominations, within a very little time, you were more corrupt than they in all your ways. As I live, says the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did abominable things before me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. So when we read other biblical, uh, like extra biblical sources, there is so many horrible stories about the people of Sodom. They would do things like if the, so when when the angels are like, we'll just go sleep, sleep in the city square, the book of Jasher records, do mm. you have that story mm. about when the beds, what would they do? They would go into the city square and if the people were taller than the bed, they would try and like squish, they, they would cut off their feet so they would fit into the bed. And if they were well, too small for the rough. bed, they'd push them out. If you were a beggar and you asked for money, 
they would, people would actually kind of scratch their names on a coin. And if you tried to buy food with the money you collected as a beggar and, and the person you were buying food from saw that it had been a scratched coin, they knew that you were just a filthy beggar and they wouldn't sell was, you the food. Would, would that be the mark of the beast? Maybe, but they wouldn't sell them food. And then when that beggar died from starvation because nobody in the city would feed them, then they would, then the, you could go to that dead body and reclaim your coin. They were so selfish. They, they did not. And, and if you look at, if you look at God's laws, I have this phenomenal book here called the Koran Tanakh of the land of Israel. So this is the, the, the Tanakh. This is the whole book of Israel or the whole book of Leviticus. The one I brought in today is the book of Leviticus. But they um, they do this whole cool thing where they break down each verse and they put it into the context of its neighbors. It's a giant book for those of you that are not looking at it. It's a it's coffee full, table book. It's full of yeah, colored totally. pictures yeah. and photographs. Good and, description. And yeah, and all and and like ancient um, ancient. Uh, 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 archaeological evidences and things like that. And one of the things that I read in here recently, which I thought was really fascinating, had to do with, when we were talking in Ruth, we talked about gleanings in the field. Yeah. And we talked about, um, if somebody has a second to look up where exactly that is in Leviticus, it's like 19, where the, the to leave open, to leave the, 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 the gleanings of the field. Yeah, I read it in, in Hebrew, in, in, in the Bible, uh, in the book of Ruth when we did that study. And I should have, um, I should have it in the top of my head and I don't, and that's really depressing. But we talked at that time about like whether or not the gleanings, leaving the gleanings was culturally uh, normal, like whether that was something that they did in the culture in general or whether that was something that was unique to the land of Israel. Sorry, 19, uh, nine through 10. You beat me to it. Perfect. Oh, sorry, I didn't know you were no, looking No, you're good. It we found it at the same time. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, so 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 let's go. Like you can, with because because this is the whole thing, it's 19, nine through 10. So now I'm going to go find it. But um, we talked about that in this, in this, in the last time we had a, a conversation. We were like, is that something that they all did? Or is that something that was unusual to the land of Israel? So I, um, while you're looking that up, I, because you sent the notes out ahead of time, I looked up the word abomination and what that means. Uh, the, the, and I'm not sure I'm going to butcher this word. No, it's okay. I know. I know these are always anyway. fun. It's I either, like it's either Toba, T-O-E-B-A-H or Toaba. Mm -hmm. And, and it means a couple, it's got, Egregious, egregious sins. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm not egregious. Yeah, <laughs> not egregious. egregious sins. Yeah, idolatry, the sacrificing mm -hmm. of children or yourself to the god Moloch, specifically. Mm. Uh, certain sexual sins mm -hmm. that doesn't give what the certain is. Yeah, and the and it is the culmination of the depravity of sin. That's what abomination means. Yes. Yeah. It's the culmination of the depravity of sin. So they had been doing it for so long yeah. that they had gotten to the point where they cut somebody's feet off to make them fit on the bed or cut, I don't know, It was whatever. so normalized. It was so normalized. It, so it wasn't normalized shocking. That it wasn't even shocking anymore. Well, and here's what's interesting because we talked about this cleaning of the field. I want to read this to you all from the, the Koran uh, Tanakh, the land of Israel uh, on the book of Leviticus. So 19, nine through 10, gleanings for the poor and the migrant. Although the poor, including the widow and orphan, were mentioned as the concern of God's rulers and sages throughout the ancient Near East, no laws were written on their behalf or on behalf of the migrant, often translated as stranger, but most often referring to the resident aliens. 
Thus, the legal provision of harvest gleanings for the poor and the resident alien commanded here in Leviticus 20, it's also in Leviticus 23, 22 and Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 22. These are unique in the ancient world. To Israel? Yes. Okay. The God of Israel gave a lot of fucks about caring for the poor, the stranger, the migrant, and the alien. Hospitality, offering food and water to anyone that came to your door was a huge part, not only of how God, the God of Israel, wanted you to worship, but how he wanted you to treat one another. What's interesting is when we were talking about Sodom, one of yeah. the one of the biggest things that saved Lot because he was in the city. Yeah. And um the story in Jasher, yeah. Lot's family is saving a um a poor person from dying. Yeah. They're starving. Mm-hmm. And they're secretly giving them water and food. Yeah. And so much so that that the people are expecting that person to die and he doesn't die. He actually gets better. Mm-hmm. You got to do that in secret, though. That's the kind of place we're talking about. Exactly. <laughs> so in it's and that's one of those things we talk about. God to see in our heart. Yeah. Where our heart's at. Yeah. And I, I that would be the reason why Lot was able to get out of there because of his heart, his heart condition. Be- yeah, and he saw when he when the, when the angels came to him. He immediately offered them hospitality. Yes, because he didn't want them to be abused by a city whose culture of 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 depravity, which was an abomination, lack of hospitality, a general, greed, a general, a general overall yeah. disgust for the poor and the overlooked, had become so cemented in as normal that even to to secretly bring this beggar food and water. Now, the book of Jasher is, uh, so outside of the Bible, these are other Jewish stories that exist. And they, because they, um, like oral traditions, have different various- They do. You know, they're not canonized as part of the word, but these are cultural stories that the Jews would have already known in their mind. So when they read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and their wickedness, they had all these other stories about who the the city of Sodom was in their mind when they read that story. And that's one of them. That- but I mean, I would say my tradition yeah. has no at one time had no clue of all that to add context to it. No, it didn't. No, no. yeah, I've never. I yeah. had to look heard for it. Sodom and Gomorrah, you know. I had to look for it no. for the sake of the study. I had to look for it. Well, yeah. You got your phone up, Strida. What you want to say? Oh, not. Oh, okay. I thought I was you had reading scripture. To add, yeah, I was reading scripture and yeah. I'm kind of so, looking, watching my daughter play ball too. Oh, so so the wickedness of Sodom is absolutely their lack of charity their greed, their hoarding of resources. I mean, the book of Ezekiel tells us specifically what the sins of Sodom were. Now- When she like through the abomination, right? Abomination, some sexual sins. The compounding of everything though. Make no mistake, the city of Sodom had a sexual sin. Absolutely. But let's look at the text. Every man from the oldest to the youngest was banging on that door saying, give us those men. Yep. They did not say if they're okay with it, if that's all right with them. I mean, they were going to trample a lot. They were going to trample a lot to get at these men. Now, thank God the angels had the power to. Yeah, yeah. Just on a just on a demographic level, it would be impossible for the city of Sodom to even exist if every single man from the oldest to the youngest was a homosexual married to a man. That would be impossible because there would be no children. Right, These were not right. homosexual men. Right. These were straight men with right. wives that were coming to Lot's house to gang rape those visitors in an, in a show of dominance, yeah. p- 
power and control, which is what these kinds of sexual acts as documented throughout the entirety of history represent. Everybody knows that our wording, because I can't keep saying that word, it breaks my heart. Our wording is less about sex and more about power. When you take sexuality from a person, it is an act of aggression. It is not an act of, of sex. This is a common interpretation of, sex, of, of, of sexual assault that we know now, right? We talk about this a lot on a psychological level. It has more to do with mm. power and control than it does about actual sex. And that was true in the ancient world as well. Because the concept of a loving, connective, homosexual relationship didn't exist, the only contexts wherein we see homosexual activity, especially between men, it has to do with temple worship, but most importantly, power and control. So, so the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah were the sins of uncharitability and the sin of sexual assault. The sins of Sodom and Gomorrah were not inherently the sin of a homosexually oriented person engaging in a loving consensual relationship with another man or woman um, between women. And they were so bad yeah. that even today, this many years afterwards, we're still bringing it up. Yeah, they were so bad. But what but what the lesson we are to take from how to not behave like the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, again, especially according to Ezekiel 16, where it's specifically laid out, we are to be charitable. We are to invite in the stranger. What did Jesus say in Matthew? Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Which is reading through uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel. You see that pattern. So much of what Israel was, they were not giving out anything to anybody. That's right. They were hoarding everything. That's right. So when Israel is accused of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, they're accused of uncharitability. Yes. They're accused of, of, um, of, devastating the 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 aliens in their in their in their midst wickedness. they are wickedness yeah. their wickedness is that of an of of the uncharitability you, you weren't shepherding my, yeah. my and people anymore i want to be clear of rape mhm let god is not a proof of rape either. yes because if they had gotten their way and gotten those two yeah. angels mm-hmm. that would not have been a consensual no. union uh, uh, act no. it would have been an act of Rape. Massive. An act of I mean, that, violence. An act hor- of violence. Horrific. Yes. Horrific. Horrific violence. With the numbers of people that were crushing it, Lot. It killed the Shunammite woman. That's you know? Right. I forgot about that one. Yeah. She was also R-worded. It kills, it kills a gang rape. I'm sorry, you say R-word. Yeah. It, it kills women. It kills women. A lot. I have a, a and good, and boys friend. And boys That's right. who are, this happens to a lot. It kills them. Yeah. There's something, mm-hmm. the R word, just destroys your soul. Mm-hmm. And sometimes for some people, the will to live, they just, yeah. I don't think they, as you call it, un, unalive themselves. Unalive yeah. themselves. I think they just give up the, the will to live, yeah. to continue on this sometimes. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah paints a very clear picture about the heart of God and God's deep disgust for rape. Mm-hmm. Deep and abiding disgust for rape. That's what the wickedness of Sodom is. In my interpretation, as we have discussed, looking at the etymology, looking at the history, looking at what else, what other biblical scriptures describe as the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That is that is where we will leave it today. 
um, our examination of the, the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and what their wickedness was, what their abomination was, and how we can honor God and honor the Word of God by not being like Sodom and Gomorrah. We are going to be kind, we are going to be charitable, and we are not going to rape. Um, is it okay if I add something in this conclusion? So Jordan Peterson, whom a lot of people know, you know, in respect or don't, whatever, um, he, he said that the Bible of its time— was the metaverse, the way that we look at the metaverse today, right? So all of the combined information that comes through society comes from, we believe, the internet mainly is where we're getting it from. Some books, of course, but the the Bible, because it was such a, you know, a powerful book over the entire world because of its, you know, um, being driven around by the church for so long, that it was the metaverse of its time. And so all of our, a lot of our languages, a lot of our they all come from these, these this biblical thing, this yeah. this one treasure trove book, and so I can already tell as we go through this story, you're going to find out that a lot of the things that you thought you know, you don't actually know, and I and I've I've learned that today. I mean, that's several things actually today, but um, no, that's good, very yeah. good. All right, folks. Well, this was a tough one. Like we've said, the next three or four probably are going to be because it took us two full episodes just to do an introduction and get through the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, next on the list is Levitical Law. Mm. Get ready for that Everybody's one. favorite. Listen, <laughs> it's my favorite. I'm weird. I'm weird. Yeah. I'm weird. That's why I bought this book. Y'all, listen. Go home. If you're at home listening to this, Google the Koren, K-O-R-E-N, Tanakh of the Land of Israel. Google it and look it up. It's a the it's a publishing house. It's a it's an Orthodox Jewish publishing publishing house. Because if I'm gonna study the Jewish culture, I probably ought to study it from the Jews. And it is really cool because is that the that is the front of the book, but it's this turning like a Hebrew book. That's right. That's so cool. This book reads. Do you have to read from it from right down? to left? No, but it, it you open it from right to you open it from right to left because that's how the Tanakh. That's, that's how the, ter, the Torah. I wonder why was you were turning weird. I was like, why yeah. is she going that it's way? It's in line with the way that the Hebrew people yeah, recorded yes. their own language. And so when you open this book, each page has the original Hebrew on top of the English translation. Mm. And it's the English translation, the way that the Hebrews translate their own language into English. So, so do you Moses have that for every book? Well, they only have, no, I went and bought the land of Israel, but they have, I think they have three so far. They have the land, they have the book of Leviticus, the book of Exodus, and maybe the book of Genesis. I'm not sure. I don't think they do because I would have bought all of them if I if I could. I think it's just the book of Exodus and book of Leviticus and maybe Deuteronomy's next. I don't know. But it's like, it's so beautiful and it's such a phenomenal way to put it in the context, to put these texts in the context of their ancient um, milieu, as you had said. Yeah. But at the same time, these are Orthodox Jews. So they're also coming at it from their perspective um, o- over the Hashem and who Hashem was and is to them currently. So uh, uh, I mean, it's just it's just an absolutely beautiful book. It's fascinating. It's like Sarita said, it's a it's a coffee table piece, but um, it has it has just reading it has just opened my eyes. It's such a phenomenal resource mm, for these really kinds cool. of studies. So we'll so I bought this particular book in order to discuss what we're going to discuss next time on the Burroughs of Berea notes from the underground. But sex in Leviticus. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, sorry, I had to edit on it. It was just too. It gets. It gets so serious. That I got. Yeah, I got to lighten it. It's good to bounce off because it's hard. So anyway, all right, y'all. Have sorry. a have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next time on the Burroughs of Berea Notes from the Underground. Peace right. out. Woo. Later. Bye, y'all.
Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea, you'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. So the pizza will be ready at 1235. And so I will probably duck out if it's a ride at like 1230. Yeah. Well, I called Dylan and he said everything's fine. His okay. dad showed up with formula. If she And he's he's kind of got this attitude that oh. like if it's starving, she'll eat it. He is yeah. so in support of me doing the podcast That's that awesome. he's just like, it'll be fine. Don't worry about us. You know, he's like, I am a capable father and you are doing important work. Get out of here. That's awesome, man. <laughs> That's what he said to me this morning. I'm sitting there desperately trying to pump. He's like, it is 927. I'll get formula. She will be fine. Get out of here. <laughs> Good. I'm so glad you have that kind of support. He's so cute, too. I don't know why I've been having a love attack for him. Probably because he's giving me space and freedom to be a human being. <laughs> and he's so watching the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Be so. careful. You're going to have like two or three more, man. No. I'm just kidding. No, I'm yeah. just playing. Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, just in fairness, I'm old. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be 40. Old. I'm going to be 42 in August in terms of childbearing years. You're advanced maternal age. Now, AMA. I will say this. Well, they call it high risk. They have no, high they risk. Call they, call it, they call it they they call it a geriatric pregnancy. <laughs> they is do. What they call yeah, it. Uh-huh. But I you know, get that. Right? You get, that's harsh words. But gosh. when you get that's into high cold. risk, yeah. they give you so much more extra care. They do. It's an almost an an, an extraordinarily um, annoying amount of care, quite frankly. <laughs> but 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 <laughs> from what I understand, though, you do have a higher like like as your body starts to ramp, you know, down wind down its reproductive years, your ovaries just turn into like a Vietnam chopper full of paratroopers <laughs> with the general being like, go, 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 go. And that's why like the instances of like multiple pregnancy, like multiple um, births at a pregnancy and like late term pregnancies happen more often. It's because your body's just like, look, we're just going to throw it all out there. You know, we're just going to flood, flood the deck and see what happens. You know, <laughs> that's what happens. And so- <laughs> it is possible that I could get pregnant again, but you know, I I think it's highly unlikely at forty two, and I'm nursing now, which suppresses your ovulation and this and that. So I probably I don't yeah, know. Holly and I, you know, we we went to a fertility clinic, you know, to try because I had a vasectomy and when I was twenty five, and so it's so long ago, you know, and uh, she's never had children, and we've talked about it over and over, and that made the decision not to have children uh, together, and um, but you know. We'll love on these nieces and nephews and cousins and stuff, you know. But there's a side. You can have one of mine. Can I? <laughs> I got four. Well, the married I, one's the easiest. Can I take the old? Can I take the one that's that's uh, a senior in high school that's getting ready to be a college superstar? Sure, and you can take her college bill too. <sighs> <laughs> Seems fair. Well, that's that's uh, awful. But that's she's that amazing. Sharp Edgerton humor. She's a beast, right there. man. I I, well, she I see, was she thinking. was player of the game yesterday, and they interviewed her on the radio because Dorman has a radio. They travel with this different uh-huh. ball teams, and at, uh, later on in the day, they were calling the game, and he goes. We interviewed Ella Edgerton earlier today. I hope y'all got to listen to that. That kid is well spoken. I was like, yeah, he's so well Oh man, win. that oh, makes you feel good. Yes. I like that. And she he is said extremely. We're rolling. Okay. He thumb up. We me. are rolling. Okay, well let's rolling, get started. Rolling, rolling.